We're studying the book of Acts on Sunday morning. We're in chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 4 through 12 of Acts 13. You'll have the verses on the screen to follow. Y'all got that? Do you have the verse? Good, good. Um, let me just mention uh, before I begin preaching that Dave mentioned that tonight is communion service. Uh, a factor for some is that they need to wait for time change to happen. I promise you it'll be light for an hour after we're through. So if you'd like to come and participate, now's the time when we have daylight hours on our evening com- communion times once a month. Before we look at today's text, let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. Then let's join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Acts chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 4 to 12 today, following up on a great sermon on missions that Justin preached last week. Verses 1 through 3 was the first call out of missionaries in the early church. Now we'll see what they do. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God, but Elimus the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus and said, you're, all, you're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking for someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is our first mission trip after God calls out the missionaries. So let me give you three truths from today's text. Number one, we can learn some lessons on mission strategy from this first mission work. So here's some lesson, lessons on mission strategy. Number, the first lesson is this. That we have God calling the people to go, but God doesn't say, now here's where I want you to go first. In fact, in the book of Acts, to my knowledge, there's only one time where God specifically said, now I want you to go to Macedonia. Every other time, they just made the wisest choices they could. I think a lot of times people are waiting for God to give us more specific direction when he gives us general principles. For instance... Okay, God, you want me to become a missionary. Okay, where do you want me to go? All right, H. I I see the letter H. 
A, Hawaii. Uh, I, this is getting bad, Haiti. God, God doesn't do that. Not, not as a rule. There may be exceptions. But God calls us and then lets us make the wisest logical choices. And going to Cyprus was a logical choice because we learned earlier in the book of Acts that Barnabas was from Cyprus. So they went to the coast. They got on a ship. They went to Cyprus. And Cyprus was a logical choice because it was a large populated island about 100 miles across. Uh, and so it was a good place to go. Getting on a boat and going to an island sets you up to go anywhere else in the Roman Empire because the Mediterranean Sea was basically the interstate traffic system. It was that you got to everywhere in the Roman Empire by going across the Mediterranean. So, but having somebody that was from there meant that Barnabas would know the local customs and keep you from stepping on landmines. One of the things that we Americans have to watch out, we've got a bad reputation even from tourists going overseas. The one of the things that we Americans have to watch out when we go somewhere is that we can offend people unnecessarily because we don't understand all of the customs of that area. I preached a good bit in Scotland, and I one time violated their culture in a bad way and didn't know it. I was completely innocent but wrong. I was doing a sermon on marriage on a Sunday morning service, talking about how the husband was to love the wife and, and, and talking about how women so many times get frustrated with their husbands because they blow it. Uh, if you look it up in Proverbs, husbands are dumb. It's somewhere in there. I know it has to be. But anyway, so I talked about the growing level of frustration that the wife says, you know, don't you think we ought to? And honey, shouldn't we? And finally she gets frustrated and says, you bum. Well, what I did not know in Scotland, that bum was only used as a cuss word. For us, you could talk about a bum on the street or uh, Brooklyn was those bums, you know. It's, but, but there, it's to say the word bum would be to say the A word in the pulpit. So when I said, she got frustrated and said, you bum, I literally watched the pastor's wife grab her heart <laughs> because of what that American preacher did in that pulpit. You need somebody to help you know when you're about to step on landmines. I've mentioned that one time while visiting my daughter in Brooklyn, there's a huge amount of Muslims that live in her area. She's got Muslims, uh, Hispanics, a huge Orthodox Jew. Brooklyn's the biggest mishmash of people's groups. So we were in her grocery store. I always like to go with her so I can pay. And so we were waiting in line to go up there. And the lady that pulled behind me with her shopping cart was a Muslim lady in full Muslim garb. And so I did what I do in the South. I turned around and started talking to her in a friendly fashion. And my daughter stopped me and says, Dad, you don't do that. It's a huge offense for a stranger as a man to speak to a Muslim woman. And so she let me know that I had crossed a line. Now, if I had done that in a Muslim country, friends, it would have been disastrous. So we, so they went to Cyprus and they had somebody that was there. But not only that, we can see they began to make adjustments to fit with the culture. Not, you, you don't compromise the word of God, but you do make adjustments. And one of the adjustments is something that we're going to see for the rest of the time because the rest of the ministry will be in the broader Gentile world. In verse 9, look what it says. Saul also called Paul. 
Now, let me explain what's happening here because I, I was talking to one of our uh, people and on staff and, and, and they were saying that they thought that Paul must have changed his name to show that he'd been converted from Saul to Paul. That's not what happened. What you had with the Jewish population, especially those Jews like Paul, who was raised in a Gentile territory in Tarsus, most Jews had a Jewish name, but they also had, when they were dealing in Greek Roman culture, a, a Greek name that they would use. For instance, in the New Testament, sometimes Peter would be referred to as Cephas. That was the way you said the name rock or rocky. When you were around the people in Israel, the Aramaic name was Cephas. But when he was around those in the Jew, in the Greek world, the Roman Empire, he was called Peter. So you had different names. I'll, I'll give you an analogy here. Suppose I were to try to decide to, to work with our Hispanic population, to learn Spanish, and to try to take down every barrier. Well, in American, my name is called Steve, but in Spanish, my name would be Esteban. So if I were to go in and be fluent with Spanish and wanted to try to connect with a Hispanic congregation, they say, what's your name? I could say Esteban Scoggins. And that's just simply a way to adjust to that culture. Uh, one of the things we've got to look, folks, and this is something we need to do when we're talking about missions, is so many times we don't realize this, but we're not just bringing the gospel. We're actually bringing American Western culture to the people. We, it's almost like we're, we're asking people to become Western culture people rather than stay in their culture. I had the privilege of working in Kenya on the equator. We were about 12 miles north of the equator. I, in the morning, taught at a college where they brought in almost 70 pastors to be a part of this Bible conference. And so I got to speak to them. These pastors averaged $40 a month in salary. Can you imagine how, how the poverty level they lived in? I looked out every morning, and the pastors had a coat and tie on. Now, every single morning for 10 days, they had the same coat, the same shirt, the same tie on. But they'd been led to Christ in a denomination that had been founded by British missionaries. And the British men of God wore coats and ties on the equator. So therefore, if they're going to be a man of God like the missionaries that shared the gospel with them, they had to wear a coat and tie. That, 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 that just we've got, to, we've got to go past that. But they also kept to a strategy. As mission, this is all point one. They kept to a strategy. You'll see this through the rest of the book of Acts. When they landed in Cyprus, the first thing they did was go to the synagogue. Uh, 10% of Roman's population at this time was Jewish. The people were fed up with the Roman gods. They had been gathering at the synagogues, not wanting to become a Jew, but because what they heard in the synagogues rang, rang true, that there was one true God, and the morality of the synagogues rang true. So the most prepared people that they could find would have, hap would have been there at the synagogue. So the first stop was always the synagogue, and then they would go outwards. But the point I'm making here is they had a strategy. Unfortunately, most churches don't have a strategy. They have a sign that says, y'all come. But you notice that Paul and Barnabas, when they hit a town, they said, this is what we will do. When I was in Campus Crusade at Valdosta State, we sat here and said, what are we going to do this year to bring the gospel to the most number of people? So we developed a strategy. One of the things we did was we decided that we would apply for the next year to, for as many of us to become RAs on dorm floors as possible. I became an RA. 
We decided even if you weren't an RA, if you were on a dorm floor, your goal was to start a Bible study on that floor. And so our goal was to take it, take over as many of the floors of dorms on the campus as possible with Bible studies to reach as many people. We had a plan. My second truth from this passage is this. Folks may not be as happy as they seem. Folks may not be as happy as they seem. Cyprus had a nickname. It was nicknamed Happy Island. It's the Greek word makairos. It's the same word that's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed, happy are. That's the word. So it was nicknamed Happy Island. And let me explain why. It was a perfect climate. People wanted to live there because here it was in the middle of the Mediterranean. It didn't have fierce winters. It didn't have too hot of summers. The, the climate was just exactly what you wanted to live in. It had lush growing conditions for food. Not every island could necessarily produce a lot of crops. They could produce all the food necessary to take care of the island's residents. But they also had copper mines. In fact, they produced most of the copper for the Roman Empire. So that meant it was a wealthy island. If I were to give you a contrast today, I've been to the Bahamas and I've been to Bermuda. There's a world of difference between the Bahamas and Bermuda. If you go past the tourist sites and, and go on through the island, you'll find that it's full of great poverty, you know, shanties and, and people living just barely above starvation levels. If you go to Bermuda, Bermuda is an island where there's almost no poverty. And so this was one of those islands because of the copper industry. There was a lot of wealth. But it was also a peaceful, law-abiding island. I'll tell you how I know that. Because Luke very specifically tells us they had a proconsul named Sergius Paulus. By the way, here's a little rabbit to chase. They have uncovered the Roman records for that day. And Sergius Paulus was listed as the proconsul of Cyprus. Every time archaeology makes a discovery, it always backs up the history of the Bible. And it also indicates that he became a Christian in, in their Roman records. But there were, so whenever you had a proconsul, what that meant was that was such a peaceful island, you did not have to have Roman troops stationed there. If you had a governor like Israel, that meant they had Roman troops there in case things got out of hand. But if you had a proconsul, that means you don't need those. There's not enough crime to justify. There's not enough chance of a revolution to justify Roman troops being there. So it was a peaceful place. So let's think about that right quick. Perfect climate, plenty of food, plenty of wealth, law-abiding, safe. You're not in danger. Does that sound like a happy island to you? Well, there were two cracks in this happiness. Everywhere in the Roman Empire, every Island, every major city would adopt one main Roman god or goddess as their main god. The goddess of the island of Cyprus was Aphrodite. The other place in the Roman Empire that we study about that had the goddess Aphrodite as their main goddess was Corinth, the seaport town. And we know from Corinth's records that they employed a thousand temple prostitutes. The way you worshiped Aphrodite was you went to the temple, you paid a fee, they had little rooms, you went off to the side, you slept with the prostitute, and therefore you experienced union with Aphrodite. So the worship of Aphrodite required the use of temple prostitutes. Now that's easier to find when you're a seaport town, but this is a self-contained island where new people did not move in. 
So how could they provide enough prostitutes to function as a temple to Aphrodite? Here's what happened, folks. According to the laws of Cyprus, every woman was required one day in her life to give herself as a temple prostitute for the temple of Aphrodite. Ladies, do you imagine how scarring that is? That every wife, every daughter, every woman on that island had had the experience of being used by men in that worship experience. But not only that, can you imagine how heartless that was that men would take advantage of it? There's a crack in the happiness of Happy Island. But the other one is there must have been a occult presence because this governor, Sergius Paulus, had employed a what I believe was a charlatan magician. Paul says in verse 10, you're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. But evidently there was such a fear of the evil spirits in Sergius Paulus that he had hired Elimus to keep those spirits at bay. So there was that sense of the occult presence being there. And so what happens here is you find Paul and Barnabas in a power encounter with this false magician. Uh, As I said, I think he was a trickster, but he found out who had the power because Paul had God do to Elimus what God had done to him. This is not an an evil action to having him to become temporarily blind because remember, God did that to Paul and that brought about his salvation. But he said, you you are here. You call yourself bar Jesus. It had been 15 years since Jesus had risen. I'm sure the entire area around there. This was not far from Israel itself. People would have been talking about this miracle worker named Jesus. He called himself Bar, son of Jesus. And Paul says, you son of the devil. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to be blind. And he was blind. And that got the attention of the governor and he accepted Christ. Watchman Nee was a great Chinese Christian. His books are worth reading. He took a group of six other friends with him to go and bring the gospel to an island off the coast of China that had never heard about Jesus. They found the people completely resistant to the gospel. And finally, one of their, uh, one of the young guys on the group said, why aren't y'all open to trusting Jesus? They said, we have a great God, Tawang. And to show his greatness for the last 286 years, on the great festival day to celebrate Taiwan, our God, Taiwan, has made sure that it's never rained on that day for 286 years. That young guy in the group said, it's going to rain this year. And watchman, he said he kind of melted. <laughs> he hadn't planned to make a promise like that. So they decided we got to get in prayer. This is going to be a power showdown between Tawang and the real God. And so they prayed. And sure enough, the day of that great festival, woke, they woke and it was clear sky. The people got their God. Once a year, they put him on a, uh, in a procession. And he was carried by men through the streets in a parade. But as they started the parade, a few drops began. And then a downpour like they'd never seen before happened. And they cried out to Tawang, stop the rain, Tawang. And nothing stopped. It got worse. And finally, they tripped and fell. And his head and his arms broke off. God can take the challenges. Let me give you one application before I leave this point. Happy Island. I mentioned that people may not be as happy as folks seem. That outward circumstances don't make us happy. Have you noticed that? 
In fact, I wonder how many people who say something like this, when I retire, I'm going to move to the mountains. It's so beautiful. It's four seasons. It just seems like when I've gone there on those trips, that's the happiest. When I move to the mountains, I'm going to be happy. Can I tell you something, folks? There's a God-shaped vacuum in every person, and the mountains won't fill it. Number three, third truth for today. Satan has a twofold plan then and today. So we can see Satan's strategy in opposing this first mission effort. And this is the twofold plan. In verse eight, we see that Satan wants to keep people away from hearing about Jesus. In verse eight, it says, but Elimus the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Don't listen to them. You remember, I'm your man. Don't listen to this new thing. He was trying to say, I don't even want you to hear it. Please put your hands on your ears, governor, uh, proconsul. You don't want to hear this. One of the things that disturbs me so greatly, friends, is we're living in a day with a growing cancel culture. And that cancel culture is being focused on us. I went to Valdosta State from 72 to 74. Valdosta was across the street from the high school, but directly across from my dorm was a public park. Uh, in that day and time, oftentimes, if I couldn't sleep at night, I would get up and I would walk around the campus. It was a mile and a half just to walk around and do some praying there. But one night, I, it was a Saturday night, I couldn't sleep, it was past midnight, I decided I'd just go walk in the park. I didn't realize that that was the place where they sold drugs to the college students and they sold drugs to the high school student. It was full of pushers. So I was out there walking around like a college student, it was after midnight, and a man came up to me and he opened up his jacket and said, let me tell you what I've got for you here, and he started listing what he wanted to sell me. And I opened up my jacket and I said, let me tell you what I've got for you here. I've got something that's so powerful, so life-changing. It is banned in half the countries of the world. You could get sent to prison in half the countries of the world just for having what I've got in my pocket. But I'm going to give it to you for free. And I pulled out a gospel tract. <laughs> and I gave it to her. Because in the Soviet Union and in communist China, that was banned. In Muslim countries, that was banned. Why is it that Satan has tried to make it where you can't even hear the gospel in so many places in the world? Because there is a power in the gospel. He doesn't want you to be exposed to it. But folks, what breaks my heart, this is a land where we establish something called the First Amendment. The right of free speech. And in the shortest time possible. We're watching that free speech go away because you've got to have approved speech or they will allow you no speech. You know that's happening. You know that's happening now. And so we're living in that day and time. I talked to someone recently who worked in a hotel downtown Asheville. And that particular person said they could not let anybody know they were a Christian. If they wore a rainbow flag, they would have been celebrated. But because they were Christians, they had to keep it quiet or they would have lost their job in downtown Asheville. Second thing that Satan wants to do is he wants to twist the straight way of God. He said, you want to pervert. That word means to twist, to mangle, to complicate the straight way of God. In verse 
chapter 13, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look at the contrast. You've got this twisted way that's the way of the devil. And you've got the straight, simple way that's the way of God. This week I looked up on a website called MedicineNet and found out that MedicineNet tells us that today we know there are 74 genders. The Bible says there are two. It's more simple than what you find on MedicineNet because Satan's way is to complicate the simple, good truth of God. Even when we talk about other ways, other patterns of, of religion, you, you find that they often make the way of salvation so complicated when it's just as simple as John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you were to ask me, how do you get from here to Mast General Store? And we do have tourists that come. I, have, I meet people that are, are, are friends who come up and I find them in the worship service. And before you leave, go to Mass General. Well, what I would tell them is walk out the back door, turn right, go two blocks, get on Main Street, turn left, and by, you'll see it right down on the left. So turn right. Turn left, you're there. Would y'all agree with those directions? Now, I could give them these directions. Well, if you want to go to Mass General, walk out the door, turn left. Go down Fifth Avenue all the way to Blythe. And then if you'll turn right on Blythe, I want you to go there. You'll come and you'll see a major thing called Sixth Avenue there or whatever it's called. And go across that, go all the way till it ends on Highway 180. And then turn right on Highway 180, and it will come down and it will end on US 25, uh, right near the high school. If you'll turn right on US 25, go all the way till you get to 6th Avenue, turn left, and, and you will see, if you turn left there, then you'll see on your right, Mass General. Which would you prefer? Which directions would you prefer? Turn right, turn left, you're there. Folks... Let me give you the good news. The gospel is this simple. Whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the whole thing. That's the simple truth of God, and Satan will try to complicate it. Back in the 1970s, when I was a college student at Valdosta, I heard a missionary named Jim Peterson, and he was working among secular students uh, in Brazil, and he said, I have one goal, because they, these secular students had never been exposed to the Bible. He said, I would ask them, will you commit for six months to meet with me, and we'll walk through the Gospel of John. He said, what I would do is I'd take one hour a week, and we'd read a little bit, and then we'd talk about it, read a little bit more, then we'll talk about it. He said, usually by three months, they became Christians. These are people with no background, becoming disciples of Christ, really trusting Christ and following Christ. And he made this statement. He said, the reason I do that is because this book is true. I'm convinced of that. So the more I expose them to how true this book is, the more they will see that it is true. Well, friends, we're here to do one thing, and that's to proclaim the straight way of God. May God bless us as we stick to that. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will take these truths and encourage your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for being a Savior that, that would just take us when we believe. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.